G'day and welcome to Occupied, your fortnightly podcast for all things occupation and occupational therapy. Uh, I wanted to have a chat uh, as an extension of some of the, the values podcasts that we've put out, uh, looking at occupational transitions, so those gaps where an occupation changes. Hey guys, let's have a chat about occupational transitions. Now, a lot of you may already have a good understanding about occupational transitions and may already use uh, that knowledge in your practice, but it's something that I think a lot of people, even if they are utilizing the idea behind it, probably aren't consciously aware of them uh, to a degree. So what is an occupational transition? Well, we obviously know that a transition itself is you know, a, a change, uh, a moving from one idea or one concept to another concept or idea, um, whether that be activity, whether that be a thought pattern, whether that be a belief. Uh, we got the rough idea of what a transition is, I would hope. An occupational transition is exactly what it says on the box. It's a, a transition between occupations. Now, one thing I think a lot of people... I feel like a lot of people will actually get that particular concept, but one thing I, I think a lot of people won't get is, well, what types of transitions might there be that OTs need to be aware about? So people aren't always going to be aware of the various types of uh, transition. And I think how an OT works with different types of transition is going to be very different. So it's important that we understand this. So the, the model generally that I uh, will use when I'm looking at these types of transitions is a model from Adams, and it's, it's a fairly old one. I think it's from about 1975, 76, something like that. But it's still very basic, but still quite useful. And the model basically says that there's two different categories that transitions could fit into with two subcategories in each. So a transition is either going to be voluntary or involuntary. And it's either going to be predictable or unpredictable. And what we end up with then is four different combinations uh, of transition. So you could have a transition that might be voluntary and predictable, such as getting a new job. Uh, it's voluntary. You applied for this job. It's predictable. You understand the process and you are actually consciously looking for a job. So that's one type. You might have an involuntary but predictable transition. And for some countries that have it, that might be something like national service, where it's not necessarily something you're choosing to do. It's something you have to do. Uh, but you know it's coming. And therefore, you can put certain things in place to navigate that transition. You may have a voluntary yet unpredictable transition. And that might be something like uh, going on a blind date where you're voluntarily going, in most cases, I hope, uh, but you have no idea uh, what that might entail, uh, or how that might change you forever, or if it's going to at all. And then you've got involuntary yet unpredictable transition periods, and that would be things like natural disasters, cyclones, floods, where you most definitely did not sign up for it, uh, and in a lot of cases you had no indication Sometimes that it was even going to happen, but also that you know you have no idea the impact 
that it's going to have on you and your life. <clears throat> so why do we, or why do I look at different types of transitions? Well, it's because I think that OTs uh, utilize different skill sets and can do different things with these different types of transition. What is the OT goal overall? Well, with regards to transition, our, our goal is to help people navigate these transitions as effectively and as health positive as possible. So with the knowledge of these different types of transitions, there's certain things that we can do. For example, if there is any kind of predictable uh, predictable transition coming up, we know it's coming. So we can put into place measures to start preparing people for when that transition inevitably comes. Even like new job, that's fairly easy because we're voluntarily going into that one. But even the involuntary stuff like national service, we are able to put things in place, whether it's measures to look after family, pets and that kind of stuff if someone has to go away, uh, whether it's building resilience uh, assisting people to look after their own mental health to actually help navigate that transition. Mental health is a big issue when it comes to transition because it's one of those things that is going to be affected in either a small or large ma way absolutely every transition we go through, whether they're big, small, life-changing, or one that we might not even usually bat an eyelid at. It's going to affect us in some way. So that's the predictable thing. So I, I like to think of the predictable transition periods as things where OTs can be a little bit more proactive. And we are essentially preparing people for a transition that we know is coming up. Whether we know the impact that it's going to have or not, we can still assist people to take steps towards making sure that when it gets here, they're able to navigate that through that transition, smooth sailing, sweet as butter. The unpredictable transitions are going to be more reactive. So things like I said, even things we voluntarily go into where we don't understand what the impact's going to be, uh, or completely involuntary natural disasters, that kind of thing. This is where we will enter a person's, I guess, service story. Uh, with the idea of being a, or of assisting them to rebuild. So things that I've talked about in previous podcasts about uh, whether we are either trying to get them back into uh, their previous occupations or exploring new occupations that may fill their occupational needs. This is traditionally where OT has fit. Whether we've thought about uh, OT as working in transition periods or not, traditionally a lot of the time this is where OT, OT comes in. Mainly because... We don't usually see people until there's something wrong. So whether it's an injury, an accident, a diagnosis, uh, anything like that, that all of a sudden impacts how a person performs their occupations, this is when OT, by and large, comes into its own. There's a growing, uh, I guess, feeling in the profession or a growing movement in the profession is probably a better way to put it, uh, about doing more of that proactive, not even health uh, care, it's more proactive well-being care. Um, 
helping people to empower themselves with the skills and knowledge to be able to take on a lot of these transitions and navigate them successfully. A lot of the literature out there around transitions, there's no, I'll start out by saying I haven't been able to find and feel free to fill me in if you do know of something. I haven't been able to find a, uh, an occupation or an OT specific sort of model of uh, transition, of occupational transition. There is an absolute ton of literature out there though, uh, looking at specific uh, transition periods, researching transition periods, things like uh, transition to retirement, things like transition to high school, things like transition to parenthood. Um, the occupational science literature is just dripping with that kind of information. Uh, I just haven't been able to find anywhere that anyone's put it all together in a kind of OT model of transition, of occupational transition. So if that's your space, get onto that. In saying that, though, there is more than enough research out there to show that there's, there's a correlation, at least, uh, between occupational transition and well-being. And I, I do believe that if we were to really break it down, this is exactly where OT fits. OT fits in these occupational transition periods. These occupational transition periods are occupational disruption. They are occupational alienation. These are the spaces where people's occupations and the needs, their occupational needs that they need, ironically, to be filled, are falling by the wayside. This is our wheelhouse. This is what we do right here. Helping people navigate these occupational transitions using our skill set of occupation as ends and occupation as means. There's a lot of, again, correlative information, a correlative research around uh, different health conditions and different risk, uh, especially in mental health. A lot of your uh, risk data in mental health is around transition periods. So there's a higher risk uh, of self-harm suicide around immediately after discharge, a transition back into home. There's higher mental health diagnosis and self-harm suicide rates around things like adolescence, a transition to adulthood, around uh, retirement, transition from work to retirement. A lot of these higher risk uh, periods are transition periods in a person's life. Think about if you have ever worked in mental health, especially on an acute unit, and seen the types of admissions that come in. You get admissions for things like situational crisis. Um, you know, a person's partner of however many years has either just passed away or just left them, that kind of thing. That's a massive transition period for someone. And the idea is that they may not be equipped to actually navigate that transition. You'll hear about some people that will go through exactly the same situation. Yes, obviously, in the, the, um, the idea of sort of if, if it's related to death or, or dying and that kind of thing, it's not, never going to be easy, but they may manage it better than some other people. Some other people will just fall apart. Others... Uh, have 
the resilience and have the coping mechanisms to be able to work their way through the grief, the, the transition period. Why? That's the big question is why? And how can we take what we know from the people that are able to manage those situations and apply it to the people that seem to struggle a bit and need some support? I'm getting on my mental health horse now, but to me, that is 110% where OT in mental health fits. We are there to use our skill set to help people navigate those situations. It doesn't matter what the cause is in reality, whether it's a physiological cause, whether it's a situational crisis, whether it's you know a social environmental crisis, whether it's drug-induced, chemical-induced. It doesn't matter. We are there to use our occupational skill set to equip people with the skills and knowledge to be able to transition these periods for themselves. We are not there... Uh, coming to mind, I, I often say to people that our whole job is to try and do ourselves out of a job. Now, I know that's never going to happen um, because it's just really not. But if you're not trying to essentially give your knowledge to someone, help them, support them in a sustainable way so that they don't need you, that's the key. They shouldn't need you. They don't, you don't want people to rely on you to fix their problems. You're there to equip them with the skills to navigate their own transitions. And what you'll find is you may see someone for it. In reality, we see them for a fraction of their life in most cases. An absolute tiny, minuscule percentage of someone's life, you may be in contact with them. But... The lessons that you can in, uh, provide to them through the support of helping them through, say, a really difficult time or any kind of transition period, those skills are translatable. They will be able to take those skills so the next time they're in a similar situation, hopefully they're able to either navigate it completely or navigate it better than they did before with less support. Then when they get through that transition period, the skills they gain through that process as well will help them the next time they end up in a similar situation. We are in the business of people improvement. And unfortunately, that's not a quick process. One thing I see quite a few students sort of not get down about, but I think struggle to conceptualize is the fact that we only see people for a tiny fraction of their lives but if we do our jobs well, which you know, 99% of us do, that fraction, fraction of a percentage that we spend with them will have a compounding effect, almost like a butterfly effect of influence on their lives down the track. If we are able to identify some transition periods for people before they get there, this is ideally, ideally we would want as much lead-in time as we can and we're able to start putting in place uh, some, you know, we might be building resilience, we might be setting up goals to work through this transition period that we know is coming, putting supports in place, that kind of thing. If we know it's coming and we can prepare someone, we are more than likely going to be able to 
at least reduce the effect, the negative, sorry, the negative impact of that transition period on a person's health and well-being, if not eliminate it completely and give them, you know, help them smooth sail through that transition period. And, you know, that, that's what we want from people. We want people to be living healthy, happy lives. Some of us might, but the most of us didn't get into this profession for ourselves. We got into this profession because we wanted to help people. We wanted to make people better and more aware and more self-sufficient. And that doesn't just mean with their ADLs. That means with their cognitive processes, their emotions, um, we, psychologically, physically, it doesn't matter. We want to make people better. That's why we're here. The next sort of thing we will look at, and I, I might save that for another podcast, is what are the actual effects on someone during one of these transition periods? Why do people deal with it differently? Why do some people, why are some people able to, you know, cope really well and some people just drop the bundle? Why do some people act out? during these these transition periods and lash out at people that they love and care about? And why do some people withdraw? Uh, that'll be something, yeah, I, I think I'll say, save that one for another podcast because you're probably sick of listening to me for now. Um, as always, thank you so, so much for, for tuning in. Uh, I do welcome any feedback that you have. Uh, any discussion, like I said earlier, if anyone does know of a, an occupational, well, not necessarily an occupational science or an occupational therapy model around transition periods, I haven't been able to find one. But if you do know, please tweet me, email me, Facebook me, send me a carrier pigeon, whatever it is. Uh, I'd be glad for the feedback. Uh, and if you do have any other things that you want to talk to me about or uh, you want to propose, for occupied then then please feel free to drop me a line as well uh, all my contact details are on my website brockcook.com um again if you if you like what i'm doing here uh please feel free to share it with another ot friend i'd love to to get their opinion as well um like subscribe all that fun stuff other than that guys thank you so much once again and i will talk to you very soon <laughs>